Welcome to episode 257 of The Digital Life, a show about our insights into the future of design and technology. I'm your host, John Follett, and with me is founder and co-host, Dirk Niemeyer. Greetings, listeners. For our podcast this week, we're going to discuss the environmental price of modern technology and sustainable design. So as a little preamble here, talk a little bit about the maybe lesser known carbon footprint of information technology. So this is probably not uh, foremost on our minds when it comes to thinking about carbon footprint. Maybe we're thinking about uh, automobiles or perhaps our office buildings, which use lots of air conditioning. But very rarely do we pull the phone out of our pocket and go, gee, I'm you know, leaving a carbon footprint here by using uh, information technology. But in fact, we, we really are. And a series of research studies has indicated that this carbon footprint is increasing. Now, uh, today it's, you know, not particularly substantial, maybe, uh, you know, under 2% of the total carbon footprint, uh, of, you know, of all the um, varying contributors on the planet, the aforementioned uh, uh, automobile industry being significant, as well as uh, the aforementioned uh, office buildings. But this is a growing um, footprint. And, well, you know, let's just define a little bit what we're talking about here. Uh, it's both the uh, smartphones and, and other tech devices, uh, such as smartphones. And, and part of the reason that, you know, these... Uh, add up is, you know, every two years, people are going out and getting the latest and greatest one. And every time you go and do that, all of the rare materials that go into the smartphones need to be mined and manufactured, etc. Additionally, perhaps the biggest contributor is the ethereal cloud. Well, uh, lo and behold, the cloud has uh, really come to earth in, in a way that is significant. There's data centers all over the, the globe, and uh, these servers take power, they take air conditioning, they take up space, and uh, you know they, they have a carbon footprint as well. Um, and then as time progresses, we are, as you might expect, adding devices uh, online, especially with the emerging technology of the Internet of Things. So Every time we connect some silly um, object to the Internet of Things to make it more convenient for us, whether it's unlocking your your house or turning on and off your um, your HVAC or your lights or your music, uh, you are actually sending a round trip uh, signal that is not entirely processed within, you know, the confines of your smart home, but rather sort of traveling around the globe and uh, bouncing off various servers. Um, And each time uh, we add devices that way, and uh, additionally, as we're adding monitoring for um, manufacturing, for traffic, for agriculture, for you name it, uh, you know, the carbon footprint of uh, information technology only expands. So something for us to be aware of um, and and sort of take seriously 
and we'll get into um, a number of you know the items that are part of the product life cycle and sort of worth uh, discussing. Dirk, do you want to react to any to my uh, preamble laying out the components there? Sure. I mean, you say it's something for us to be aware of and take seriously, and we may be aware of it, but we don't take it seriously, and that's not surprising. I mean, we don't take a lot of things seriously, and you know. I, I wrote an article back in 2010 about our our sort of um, ignorance and ambivalence to the use of, of just machinery, basically. And the example I used in the article was about, um, you know, like using a gigantic crane to dig a hole. And, you know, why why are we using things like cranes to dig holes that could be dug with shovels, could be dug by people? Now, the obvious and quick answer to that is um, it's it's faster, it's more efficient. However, it is having a deleterious effect on the system that we live in, namely the Earth, um, the planet, the, 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 the health of our environment. And, and what I propose there, and which will bring it you know, very relevantly to the conversation we're having here, is that we be aware of costs, of total costs, from the standpoint of a measure such as like a calorie count. Like the, you can measure the amount of energy that was taken to make that giant machine you can measure the amount of energy it takes to power the machine to do a certain amount of work. And, and, and that number should be compared to what it would take to have people with shovels and people manually doing it um, and, and make decisions on what should be done with machines versus what shouldn't be done with machines on that basis. Is it worth bringing it back to the specifics of using your cell phone and the fact that that does, in fact, have an impact on global warming uh, even if it's a teeny for each Facebook flip that we're all doing on our cell phones, is that time that we're spending, are the tasks we're doing on our phone worth the effect it will have on the environment? And with our smartphones and our sort of mindless, addictive, always-on, flip, 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 flip behavior, even though the, it's individually teeny, the impact it has, it almost certainly shouldn't be happening. It's something that um, you know, we, we should have enough awareness not to do. Uh, and I mean, I would even posit, and this is something that sounds crazy today, but won't sound crazy in 50 years, that we shouldn't be allowed to do it. There should be rules and there should be laws and we should use common sense. You know, it's, it's ironic, you know, going back to my article, that we're, you know, we're in the, the greatest, you know, obesity crisis in, in the modern world here. We wouldn't have those crises if we're out with shovels digging holes. You know, we've created these machines that are both destroying our environment and are destroying us, are making us more sedentary, are, are, are keeping us out of balance with, with, you know, living sort of healthy, balanced lives. And, you know, sure, there are people who are healthy because they go and run on the Stairmaster um, because they aren't out digging holes, doing, doing whatever the manual things would be that the world would need if we didn't have machines just doing it. So, uh, you know, there, there, there should be some accounting. There should be some, um, we should know, you know, hey, you just spent 10 calories. Uh, you taxed the earth 10 calories for what you just did on your cell phone, right? Um, in the short term, I don't think it would change a lot of people's behavior. You know, 10 calories, roll eyes, and move on. But at some point, these are going to be questions um, that are, are more urgent and more important and will be in a world that no longer allows individual liberty to trump common good uh, at all costs. And, and there might be rules and there might be limits. And 
I mean, that's a world that I think will be healthier for all of us. So that's a good uh, transition, Dirk, to uh, the, the next part of this conversation, which is, you know, just talking about um, how we can be more considerate of uh, sort, sort of the environmental impact of all of the variety of information technology products, be they hardware or software. So the, the mantra that um, is uh, sort of well-known uh, when it comes to uh, sort of a green philosophy is reduce, uh, reuse, and recycle with uh, reduce being sort of the greatest good, but, you know, followed by reusing things and recycling. So, so I think we can apply that really simple uh, structure to our discussion today about, about things that, that we could do uh, from a design perspective and talk about it, you know, over the course of a product's life cycle, you know, from the initial design uh, through development, uh, through its use, and uh, at the end of product life. So let's start with reduce. Um, in the uh, industrial design world, um, there are a couple of interesting philosophies that, that are taking hold, um, including design for disassembly. So, uh, uh, you know, I'm, I'm talking about the end of the of the product life cycle yeah. and design for remanufacturing, right? So these are two variants of the same idea, which is uh, the idea that you are going to, um, this, this falls into reduce and, and reuse because you're going to take pieces of uh, something, you know, like say a, a smartphone and you're going to make it part of the next, um, you know, the next smartphone. Um, and it, I've seen some examples of this very clever ways of breaking down products, knowing that every two years you're going to be breaking these things down. What's really horrifying is we're really not recycling our smartphones at all. I mean, the numbers are atrocious. I think why though, John, I, this know, is something I think about. I know I can give you an answer. I'm asking you why. Um, so What's your answer to that. So first, Okay. Uh, uh, first, it's it's as low as as one percent of cell phone, not cell phones, smartphones that that are getting uh, recycled. And 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 why is it? Um, you know, like with all disposable things, I imagine it's a convenience. Um, it's easier to toss something out than than it might be to find the right place to recycle it. No, it's more complicated than that. It's data security. So you're right that for the rank and file person who is not thinking about problems of global warming and their impact on them, it is just a convenience. You're absolutely right. However, there are people like myself who are wanting very much not to contribute to the problems. But I have in my house right now, we have an iPad 2 that's bricked. You can't turn it on. I've got two or three old iPhones that are sitting there. They're bricked. Um, computers. I mean, we probably have a dozen digital devices in our home. And the reason they're staying piled up is because I have no no way to recycle them that is data safe. There's no way for me to take those items and and rub them over a giant magnet or something and know my data's gone, I can confidently put them in this recycling program and it's not going to come back to bite me in some way. It doesn't exist. And I've Googled this. Like this, this is a hot button for me because I've Googled it. I've tried. I've said, I'm going to figure this out. And when you're Googling it and searching, it's all about 
well, go into your device and do this, dot, dot, dot. Some of those devices don't turn on anymore. But you can bet that there are people who are expert at stealing data who would figure out a way to carve my data out of that thing. I can't follow the instructions that are being offered to turn the device off as if it was, was fully functional still. So we've got this house full of devices, and my latest thinking is, how can I sneak these into the garbage in ways that you know, a garbage man or someone wouldn't see it as trying to steal my data or put it into some workflow that would end up with somebody stealing my data downstream. And I'm somebody who's one of the good guys who wants to do the right thing, who spent time. You know, I, I walked into Best Buy, you know, because they say, oh, you can do your recycling here. Yeah, you can dump it into a bin where somebody can get a hold of it and somebody can steal your data. So, so these, are, these are tougher problems than put your plastic bottle in the blue bin. There's, there's this layer of, of data and security that currently is not being solved for. It's not being solved by companies. It's not being solved by cities. It's not being solved by countries. And so you have people like myself that have a dozen devices sitting there who very much want to res responsibly recycle them, but have reached the point of saying, my house is full of this crap. I'm just going to sneak it into the garbage at some point so that I, my data isn't stolen, but it's the hell out of here. And that's really, really tragic. Yeah, that's the same um, style of thinking that that I have around, you know, a number of uh, ancient laptops. I have a little uh, pancake stack of um, the set, you know, sediment, basically, yeah. of, of the... Uh, I like the metaphor. Going back in time, and you can see it's almost like a, um, a geological find. You can go back through time and by different layers of laptops. But yes, I understand and sympathize with that. Um, I do think there are some corporate services that will provide a certificate of destruction for certain, I mean, on a corporate level, I think they'll take a ton of these things and certify that they've destroyed them all. Um, it doesn't solve your problem. Uh, it doesn't but, solve the consumer problem. And does the business have to pay for it? Um, unknown. Okay. I, I know. I, that, I, know I know these programs do exist, but once again, I don't know that I, they're on the personal I bet uh, the business has to level. pay for them, which is another, is another fail. I mean, the, 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 the Best Buy theoretical, theoretical model is a good one, but it doesn't solve for the data problem. But if you have a place where you can take it, it's like the Salvation Army. You take your stuff, you drop it off, and you have confidence it's going to be put to some good use at no risk to yourself. That doesn't exist for these devices, and, and we're all going to suffer for it in the longer now. Yeah, there's there's an interesting um, uh, anecdote, uh, part of how Tom Brady got himself into trouble um, over the deflate gate was in destroying uh, his phone. And, uh, you know, the investigator said, why, why did you destroy this phone? It's because he said he has all this data on it that's, you know, extremely valuable and people's phone numbers, I'm sure, of other, you know, celebrities, et cetera. Sure. Uh, an unbelievable argument, but that was definitely... You know, data data security and phone destruction are on uh, really on every, everybody's mind. Certainly a smart excuse, but not necessarily a believable argument. Given the yeah, we, 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 we destroyed his phone. We won't we won't <laughs> get into that on this show. Um, but yes, very interesting. So so recycling is is a problem point that could really use uh, a design solution. Uh, it's not rocket science. I can give you the solution now. We just need an engineer to, to say this is the quick, cheap, easy way to wipe everybody's data real real fast. But this is not rocket science. It just takes somebody stepping up who's got some money and some cloud and some some uh, a scope and scale to make it happen. So 
besides recycling, of course, there is the uh, reuse or just uh, longer usage as as a way of, um, you know, not going back to the well when it comes to uh, all of these rare materials that go into the phone. So I know that I myself probably on something like a three-year cycle with with my phones, which is slightly longer than you know the average of of two. Um, but I think probably, three as well. But probably not ideal in any way. And certainly when I was a uh, you know a youngster, the the um, the phone that we had in our house was just this plastic box basically that we you know we never changed that. I had the same phone in the house you know for quite a long time we changed ours once we went from a dial to a push button yeah yeah so so 18 years of growing up yeah this is this is uh uh as as this becomes cheaper of course it's much much easier to to swap out your uh your phones but but you know reusing them or keeping them a little bit longer um is very helpful and and makes the you know, sort of this philosophy of the continual upgrade, like the continual OS upgrades that destroy my phone. Like every time I get a an upgrade from from Apple, like I cringe because it's an upgrade for somebody, but I don't know if it's an upgrade for me. And I'm always worried that I'm not going to be, you know, not going to be able to use the phone anymore because it's going to be slow or what have you. Um, in, in a three year window, you're probably okay. And I mean, that's one of the reasons why I wait for three years is I can have confidence that I'm not going to get jacked. Um, you know, but then I change it because I think I'm going to start getting left behind. Yeah, that's, that's very true as well. So, um, you know, there, there are a number of, of resources related to these, um, these topics that we're discussing today, uh, around, uh, green UX around, uh, environmentally friendly product design, um, there was a report by Mozilla this year that, that, that I found interesting called How Healthy is the Internet? So that's worth checking out. And uh, a research paper that is uh, being discussed uh, at length, mostly around the, the global emissions, uh, is in the Journal of Cleaner Production, and it's called Assessing ICT Global Emissions Footprint Trends to 2040 and Recommendations. Uh, so we'll have links to that on the Digital Life site uh, that you can that you can check out. But the I think the upshot of uh, this discussion is that sort of the focus on greener user experience is you know beginning to happen, and uh, you know sort of worth incorporating into our practices. Uh, our design practices as we, you know, continue to innovate. We also want to make sure that uh, we're considering the impact of uh, the total product lifecycle, especially when it comes to the carbon footprint. Listeners, remember that while you're listening to the show, you can follow along with the things that we're mentioning here in real time. Just head over to thedigitallife.com. That's just one L in the digital life and go to the page for this episode We've included links to pretty much everything mentioned by everybody, so it's a rich information resource to take advantage of while you're listening, or afterward if you're trying to remember something that you liked. You can find The Digital Life on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Player FM, and Google Play. And if you'd like to follow us outside of the show, you can follow me on Twitter at John Follett, 
That's J-O-N-F-O-L-L-E-T-T. And of course, the whole show is brought to you by GoInvo, a studio designing the future of healthcare and emerging technologies, which you can check out at GoInvo.com. That's G-O-I-N-V-O.com. Dirk? You can follow me on Twitter at DNemeyer. That's at D-K-N-E-M-E-Y-E-R. And thanks so much for listening. So that's it for episode 257 of The Digital Life. For Dirk Niemeyer, I'm John Follett, and we'll see you next time. Mm-hmm.